Got to get my uh, setup here right. So just bear with me. Good things come to those who wait. Amen? All right. Okay, so before I get started, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm excited to see so many people here today on such a beautiful Friday. I know that if we were switched and you were me and I was you, I probably would be outside playing soccer. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you're here. Um, t- let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, first, we'll put up a picture here. That's my lovely wife, Rebecca. So like Andy said, I'm an immersed student, and Rebecca's my wife. That's from us playing soccer, because that's something I really like to do. Uh, we lead a community group together here with NYA, and yeah, and we love it. They're here in the front row, so if you hear some hecklers, they're my people. So I forgive them. You should forgive them, too. Um, and actually, Andy and I have more than just working at Northview in common. We both come from Oregon, so we're both American. Come on. No, no one. Okay, just me then. Um, but important difference. So Andy's from, like, the Vancouver of Oregon. The cool part. Yeah, I'm, no, no, no. Like the, the yuppie gas town of, of Oregon. I'm from, like, the mission of Oregon, if mission was nice. If mission was nice. Okay, so we should have a picture. Okay, the one up on the, on the left, that's Grants Pass, right? Like, that's our downtown. It is not big. 36,000 people, but it was perfect. I never thought I'd leave, but I did. I'm grateful I left, but because I'm happy here. And then that's Portland, right? Like, there's mountains, but that's like, that's a city, right? That's not, that's not really my thing. So I love my hometown, um, but I'm, I'm also happy to be here because uh, I, I get to preach the word to you tonight. Uh, like Andy said, the reason that I'm here and you're not getting Andy is because he was traveling. You're not getting Daniel because he's in Wakanda or Uganda. He's in Uganda. He's in Uganda. Okay, one of those is real. And uh, so they like, they just needed somebody, right? And I'm now in Merce. So Andy tapped me on the shoulder and said, here's, here's your big chance. Don't blow it. So I had to pick, I had to pick a really good topic, right? Something that like, that I'm passionate about, something that I could talk for long enough about and not look like a dummy. So in my, in my community group, we have some, some really good people in there, and we had a, a discussion around faith and works, right? And that, that can be a topic that whether you're a young Christian or a matured Christian, it can be a little bit confusing how, how those two relate. So that was the inspiration for my topic tonight. So my topic tonight is like that classic faith versus, work, faith versus works question. How do those two relate? So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at a little passage in John that you might not think has to do with this, but it does. Then we're going to contrast two characters that John portrays for us. And then as a result of those two things, we're going to make two observations, which you'll have to wait till the end to hear. So without further ado, our text is John 2, 23 to 25. So if you have your Bibles with me, feel free to turn there with me, pardon me. And if you don't, it's up on the screen. So this is the word of the Lord. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast... Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So I I hope you're paying attention. Like, we just started. And if you were, you didn't read faith or works in there. You didn't hear it either. Right? So those words are not in the text, but the text does have to do with that topic. And I think there's three hints that, that tell us that. So the first is that 
the, the word believe is just the, the verbal form of faith, right? In Greek, it's the exact same word. You just change it from a noun to a verb. So John is talking about faith. That, that's what his, his subject matter is. And then the, the, the text, and especially in verse 25 there, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then chapter 3, verse 1, now there was a man. So the, the original language reads in such a way that it's really linear, leading you directly from this little reprieve in chapter 2 straight into chapter 3. So John, if you were reading this, John's saying, okay, I'm telling you all about Jesus, and now Nicodemus. So the, it's reading in such a way that whatever he's talking about, he's really going to get into it in the next chapter. That, and then the, the third is that in, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, you get little little instances where the, the you, right? So in, in English, we can't really tell the difference when I mean you, like one person, or y'all, right? If I say y'all, you mean, or I mean all of you, but there's really no way to know if I just say you, you or you people, right? The, the word's the same. So in, in Greek, it's not. So in, John is using the plural to communicate the idea that whatever he's saying, it has to deal with more than just the characters in the story. Right, so these three things together make it pretty clear that whatever John, or that John's talking about belief, about faith, and he wants everyone who's, who's reading it and you today who are listening to follow along with him. So the way he's going to do it is in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he's going to compare two characters, right? Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. And the reason he does this is because they, together, they're a really sharp contrast. They're polar opposites. And if you have something that you want to teach someone and you really want them to get it, the best way to do it is to tell them, okay, this is what it's like, and this is what it's definitely not like, right? So I have a clip that I think shows this really, really well. It should be Hi, up there. I'm Rob Lowe, and I have DirecTV, and I'm painfully awkward, Rob Lowe, and I have cable. DirecTV is number one in customer satisfaction over all cable TV providers. Your cable, you wait forever for them to show up. I hope it's not a girl or a guy. Fact, DirecTV has been ranked higher than cable for over 10 years. Fact, I can't go with other people in the room. Don't be like this, me. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Okay, so I think that commercial is great because that's relatable, the not going when other people in the bathroom. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Um, maybe it's just me, I don't know. Um, but that, that little phrase at the end, right, where he's like, don't be like this me, painfully awkward, Rablo. Be like this me, get direct TV, right? He's trying to motivate you towards it. He got paid, so obviously he's trying to motivate you, right? But, but John is doing the same thing here. He has, he has a really clear motive, right, which we're going to find out here in a little bit. And he's trying to motivate you towards a certain choice, right? So, and for John, that, that motive is he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe in Jesus. And he's trying to motivate you towards that choice. So for the rest of Tonight, as I'm d describing the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus, what you need to be thinking in your head is which, which Rob Lowe do I want to be like? Do I want to be like Nicodemus? Do I want to be like the Samaritan woman? Which one do I want to pick? Because John wants you to pick one of them. One of them is a good example. One of them is a bad one. And they're intended to contrast, right? So if John's big thing is belief, there's one really important thing for us to get before we move on, is how is John using that word, right? So John is using that word as like his, uh, his tagline, if you will, right? So the, the reason that we use something like really repetitive is because it, it helps people focus on, on whatever it is that you're trying to teach them, right? So 
for those of you that don't know me, I am an avid sports fan. So there's three things that Freddie loves. Freddie loves Jesus. Freddie loves Rebecca. Freddie loves competitive sports. If they're not keeping score, I'm not playing. You with me? Okay, so one of my favorite sports is basketball. Huge Spurs fan. They suck this year. So it, it's, I know what Vancouver fans feel like now. And uh, no, actually, they're not that bad. Uh, now that I offended you. Um, but because they weren't that great this year, I was reminiscing. And I was like, you know what? At least we won a championship in 2014, which I can say. And I know some of you can't. Uh, but like, this is how we remember stuff, right? Before they won that championship in 2014, they experienced a really crushing defeat in 2013, right? So in 2013, game six, they, there was 30 seconds left, five-point lead. All they need to do is get a rebound, and they basically win. The, the staffers in the arena are putting out, like, the, the little cones or whatever the heck they use to make sure that people don't rush the, the, the court. They're, like, passing out the championship T-shirts. They're loading the confetti cannons. Like, everyone's just assuming, oh, this game's over. The Spurs are, are the new champions. They just took down LeBron's heat. It's a huge deal. And then they trade buckets, and now it's a three-point game. And then Ray Allen hits a corner three, and now it's a tie game that goes to overtime, which they lose, and then they lose game seven. So they went from, like, I'm here, I'm about to win the world championship in the best league in the world, to now we're the first loser. And now we have to go, and they're old, right? They were, they were old at the time. So now they had to go into the summer, and they were like, what, do I even play anymore? Should I retire? And they, they came together, and they said, you know what? One more run. We're gonna, one more time, we're going to pull the wagons together, and we're going to win that championship. And the phrase that their coach, Greg Popovich, used was summertime, right? So if, if you're playing with your friends in the summer, it's, it's super easy. You're not thinking. You're just passing the ball, making a cut, shooting a shot, and they go in, right? It's super easy. And they, what they did is they installed a new offense, which they ended up destroying the heat in the, in the next finals. And every time that they were playing the game and stuff was starting to get bogged down, they would, Popovich would be yelling from the stands, like, summertime, summertime, right? Slow it down. All you're doing is moving the ball. Game's really simple. And he did that, he, his little phrase, summertime, to motivate them towards a very specific response, right? I need you to play the game really well so that we can win a championship, right? Single focus. So John has a similar kind of focus, but John's not worried about a championship. John is worried about your eternal life. That, that's John's big thing. He has, rather than a championship, he's trying to get you to eternal life, and his version of summertime is belief. So John is going to use this phrase ad nauseum, right, all over the place. Everywhere you read in John, that's the big thing, right? These people believed. These people didn't believe. They believed, but then you're like, did they believe? Because they're acting kind of weird. So as you read through the entire book, it's always about belief. He's trying to get you to a certain place, and, and, he wants, and he's going to consistently use this word. So if he consistently uses this word, it's really important to know what he means, right? We, we need to be sure that when John is saying it, we're tracking with him. Because this is the most important thing to understand as you read the entire book. So since he's using it, he, actually, he uses it in two different ways. And I, I want to give you an example of what this is like. So my wife and I, like we both speak English, but we don't... Well, I, I speak Spanish too, so I, I'm ESL. Uh, but that never gets in the way because we both speak pretty good English. But something that I've kind of realized in my almost four years of marriage is that we, like, we're speaking the same language, but we don't always mean the same thing. So let me give you an example. The, the other day, 
I was, I was playing soccer with, with some friends. I was subbing for a team that I, I normally don't play with. And because I was kind of like the new guy, they put me in a spot that I don't normally play. And I like, I made a mistake and a guy had me one-on-one and he was trying to shoot on the goal. And I, he went this way and I went that way, which if you know anything about sports, like the biggest thing is don't let them like stay between them and whatever they're trying to do. So this opposite thing was definitely not working. The guy shoots, keeper makes a great save. And I look at my buddy and I was like, oh, dude, this guy's going to bench me. But I was like, trying to play cool. I'm like, man, that was a close call, right? And, and he was like, yes, it was. I don't know why you're here. And he didn't say that, though. I, he thought it, for sure. But, okay, so that's me, right? When I'm using that phrase, close call, I mean, you know, like, that could have been really bad, but it wasn't at all. Now, Rebecca, what she means is a little bit different. So for her, for, for example, we, she loves to garden. So we were out in the garden, and we were like, we were building a raised garden box, which I didn't know was a thing, but I guess that's a thing. And she, yeah, you, you buy dirt, which I'm like, dirt is literally everywhere. But I have to go and buy it. And then we have stairs up into our backyard. So then I had to carry it in like in a trash bucket, which I was like, I felt like I was in decent shape, but that exposed me because I'm not in decent shape. <laughs> so I'm carrying all this dirt and, and we're walking through the garden box. So we're just, our boots are covered in dirt, right? So we leave them outside for a few days and then my wife is deathly afraid of spiders, so she put them both inside. So I took my boots back outside, beat them together to get all the dirt off, obviously, put them back inside. She did not do that. So hers are still covered in dirt. So then the next weekend, we're back out there, we're about to go, and I put my boots on, or I'm lacing them up, and I'm watching her, and she slides one gum boot on, and it's still covered in dirt, and she's like just inside the doorway, right? She's one step away from not making a mess, but she's still making a mess. And then she like, she's looking at me as she's putting on the second boot, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, and she's like, okay, I realized that I might be doing something dumb. So she steps outside the, the door, right? And then looks at me, and she's like, close call. And because a huge clump of dirt fell when she stepped outside. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, okay, the clump of dirt's out there but there's like a lot of dirt in here too. So this wasn't a close call at all. You, don't, you messed up. You messed up. Right? So we used the exact same phrase, but we meant something totally different. Right? So obviously that's the case, right? We're two different people. That's, that's almost to be expected, right? That two different people would say different things or mean different things when they say something. But what's interesting is that sometimes the same exact person will use the same phrase, but in two different ways. And typically, people don't want to confuse you, right? So the reason they do it is because they want to make a point. They want you to, oh, I'm listening. Oh, wait, you said that, but you meant this. And now you said it again, but I don't think you mean that. So what, what did you mean? Right? It, it forces you to stop and, and pay really close attention. So John does that with belief. And, and there's a, a theologian by the name of William M. Swartley, and he calls this the dualism of John. So John likes to use the same word but to mean super different things. So there'll be instances where he says, oh, the Jews were believing in Jesus, like in our passage here in John 2. But there'll be other instances where he says, oh, the Jews came and they opposed Jesus. And you're, wait a minute, like, is it the same Jews? Are, are all the Jews opposing Jesus? Are all the Jews believing? You, you're forced, because he's using the exact same word, to, to think through the, the details of the story. Because he's telling you, he, the details are really important, and he's trying to tell you something with it. So in this text, John's using belief, right? And belief is another one of those words where John consistently goes back to it 
And, and sometimes he means one thing, and sometimes he means another. So I'll read it one more time, and then we'll get into the comparison. So 23, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people, and he did no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So John's using the word belief, and we're forced to think, well, what do you mean, John? Because I know you don't always mean the same thing, right? And then there's a, a second passage here in John, sorry, in the next chapter, John 4, verse 46 to 54, where, where John uses the exact same word to do this thing that I'm telling you, right? To, to mean two different things. So in this story, this man comes to Jesus, and he said, I need my son healed. My son's really, really sick. And Jesus looks at him and he says, go, your son's made well. And then John tells you, the man believed. So you're like, okay, yeah, that man's a Christian now. He believed Jesus. And then the man goes back on his way home. His servant meets him. And then he, he, his servant tells him, your son was made well. The guy's really happy, right? And then he says, well, what, what time did it happen? Well, in the seventh hour. And the man's thinking to himself, well, Jesus said he would be made well. Okay, so Jesus did it. This is a miracle. Jesus healed my son. And not even being near him, right? So the man knows something miraculous happened. So then John tells you, so the man believed. And you're thinking, what? What kind of belief? Are they the same belief? Are they different belief? So they, they are very different belief. Um, John wants you to think of two different things when he uses this word. The first one is, is just knowledge, right? They're the man understood what Jesus said, right? The man heard Jesus' words, your son is made well, and he, and he heard him and understood it, just as pure knowledge. The second one is knowledge and action together. And, and the man proves this by he, he hears what his servant says, right, that your son was made well. And then the next, the next little part of, of, of the verse says, and then this man believed in all his household with him, right? That's not just knowledge. Now that's knowledge and an action, right? This man who's a, a pagan, he's not a Jewish person, so in, in his context, right, he would have left behind all his household gods, all his cultural gods, and now he believed in Jesus. So he made a significant change, right? That, that's an action. That's not just knowledge. So initially, it's just knowledge, right? I heard words, but now it's knowledge and an action. And this movement, this is what John is trying to motivate in his entire book, right? And it's most clearly seen in John 20, 30 to 31, right? Which that, like, this is the, the most important verse in the entire book. So it's kind of funny that it's at the end. But that's what John wants you to do. He wants you to read through the whole thing. You get to the end and you're like, oh, this, this is why. You're, you're trying to say something about belief. And then you read it again because, because you missed it the first time. But you're not going to miss it the second time because you know John's entire purpose in writing his gospel and, and you having it to read is that you would move from belief that's just knowledge to belief that's knowledge and action. Right? So that's John's whole, whole purpose. Right? That's, so as he's using belief, as he's using it like summertime, right? Like this is my phrase that I'm constantly going to use throughout the entire gospel. So as you hear it, you're, you're forced to think about it, and then it pushes you in a certain direction, right? And that, that direction is knowledge and action together. Right, so now that those things are super clear in your mind, I hope, maybe not, uh, now we're going to contrast Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. We're going we're to look at them together and see which one, right, and put them to the test, which one has knowledge, and which one has knowledge and action, right? So before we even get into it, the, the deck is quite stacked, right? John is portraying one. In, in the first verse, he tells you everything you need to know about Nicodemus, right? In, in 3 verse 1, this guy is a man 
He's a Jew. He's a Pharisee. If there's anyone who has knowledge and action right, it's going to be a Pharisee. They know what God's like. They memorize the scripture all the day long. They keep all the laws. If there's anyone that does both, for sure it's him. And if there's anyone that doesn't understand anything about God, it's a Samaritan. They don't read the right Bible. They don't worship at the right temple. Like they have bad ethnic lines. They, they're half-breeds right, of, of Jewish and Gentile mixed marriages. So if there's someone that's, that's far away from God, it's the Samaritan woman. But as you read the story, because John, and John sets you up, right? He's talking about belief. You're forced to, to interact with your assumptions. Which, which one has true belief? Which one has just knowledge? So as, as we get into, here we go, we'll get, we'll get into Nicodemus right away. He comes to Jesus at night and he questions him. And, and, they have, and John records a dialogue between him. And he tells him, be born of the spirit. And John hears, or sorry, be born, be born from above. And John hears, be born again. What, like crawl back into my mother's womb. I'm six feet tall. She's not, that's not gonna work. He hears, be born of the spirit. And John's like, of the wind? That doesn't make any sense, right? So Jesus is talking to John, or sorry, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, obviously not John. And as, as they're having this conversation, John makes it pretty clear that the belief that Nicodemus has is just knowledge, and it's not even that great of knowledge, right? We're kind of disappointed that if there was anyone that would understand what God is like, it would be this man. So we read in, in John 3, verse 9 to 12, <clears throat> Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He doesn't get it. He's, he's not understanding what Jesus is saying. His knowledge is incomplete. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So you start and you're thinking, okay, Jews are believing in Jesus. Nicodemus will for sure believe in Jesus. And then Jesus himself tells you, well, he didn't believe. Well, did he not have knowledge? He, of course he had knowledge. He, he knew Jesus was a teacher from God. So that's not his problem. His problem is he didn't have knowledge and action, right? So for John, the only kind of belief that really matters, true belief for Christians, is knowledge and action together. So if there's no action, it can't be considered true belief. So then we get to the Samaritan woman, who, like I said, she's the lowest of the low, right? She's a Samaritan, so she's mixed marriages, which was a huge deal to Jews. It was really important that you married only other Jews, because if you didn't, the Gentile would lead you into idol worship, which was really important that you, there was only one God, and if you worshipped any other gods, you'd, you'd get yourself into trouble, right? That's what caused the fall of Jerusalem, and the Babylonian captivity. So they had this in their mind constantly. And every time a Jewish person looked at a Samaritan, they were like, you're a reminder of what happens when, when we go wrong. And I don't want to be like you, like ever. So John takes this character that has a huge stigma, and now he's going to hold her up, right? And if we saw Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was only knowledge, right? Not true belief. John is setting us up. The Samaritan woman, well, she, she might be more. So she comes to Jesus at noon, and then what's super interesting to me, Nicodemus' dialogue with Jesus is like 14 verses, right? It's, it's super short. The Samaritan woman's dialogue is three times longer. So whatever interaction they're having, 
whatever her knowledge, whatever belief she's going to have, it's, it's more significant in some way. So simply the length of the passage should be enough to, to hint in the direction John's trying to go, that the first one, they were not true belief, they're just knowledge, but, but she, she could be more. But, but then you get into the story, and she doesn't sound that different, right? She has the same kind of problem that Nicodemus has. Nicodemus, or she hears Jesus speaking and fully misses what he says. Jesus tells her, I, I have living water. Come to me, and, and you'll never thirst again. She's like, well, I'd love to never thirst again. Like, I have to keep coming here with my bucket. Okay, let me have some of that water. And, and she thinks he's talking about physical water, and he's not. He's talking about eternal life. He tells her, I am, which is the exact same phrase that Yahweh uses in Exodus 3.14 to reveal himself to Moses, right? So if there's one phrase or one certain thing that could tell someone, like, I'm from God, I'm the Messiah, I, I'm a big deal, you, sh- you should... Like you should be worshiping me right now. Why are we talking? And Jesus says it, and then she turns around, and she's like, could this be the Christ? So she doesn't sound that different than Nicodemus at first. But then we get to verse 39. And in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him and asked him to stay, With them, he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So John's using the same phrase over and over again, and we're we're wondering, well, what kind of belief? Well, they heard her at first. So her first of all, let's look at her belief, right? So the content of her belief is knowledge. She believed something about Jesus, and then she went and told people, right? That's action. But then the, her, if you look at her, like her testimony, right? So when, when we think, I need to evangelize, we think Jesus Christ died for my sins, right? Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. Jesus Christ came to make all things new. Like she doesn't include any of that. Her testimony is, there's a guy who told me everything that I ever did, which is like cool, but it's also kind of a parlor trick, right? Like he's basically, he sounds like a seer, which would not have been that uncommon in their day. So the content of her knowledge isn't great, but there's still something there. And it still motivates an action, which is totally gone in Nicodemus' story. And then we, we see like a, a progression of knowledge for her in, in her narrative. She goes from he's a Jew to he's a prophet to could he be the Christ. And from there, turns into an evangelist, right? So these people come, Jesus teaches them about himself, and now they believe again. Or now they have true belief, right? John's using the same word over and over again to get you thinking. What, which one's legit? Which is the person that's going to have eternal life, right? If John 20, 30 to 31 is the flagship verse for the entire gospel, these are written, these signs are written so you may believe and by believing have eternal life. Every time we hear belief, we need to be thinking, well, what kind of belief leads to eternal life? What does John mean when he says this really important phrase that he's going to use over and over and over again to motivate us to a certain life, right? And that for him, knowledge and action. Consistently, the only belief that matters is knowledge and action, so this woman shows herself to have true belief because she has knowledge, imperfect knowledge, but still knowledge and action, and imperfect action, but still action. So I have a slide. It should be that. Yeah. So that side by side, if, if all you had was the names, Nicodemus and a generic Samaritan woman, you, it would be clear cut. Nicodemus has belief. Samaritan woman does not. But as you compare them, it becomes really obvious 
who is the one that has true belief? Who is the one that has true faith? For John, there's, there is no misunderstanding about it. it. The only kind of belief that matters, the only kind of belief that leads to eternal life is knowledge and action together. And anything less than that, it's just knowledge. It's just thinking. So if, if that's the case, right, if, if for John, this is his consistent message in 21 chapters, and the entire reason he wrote his gospel is so that you would believe, and by belief he means knowledge and action, where do we go from here? So I have two observations. The first one is like, I can't make it more clear. The, the only kind of belief that matters is knowledge and action. The second one is progress, not perfection. So both of these are really important. So for the first, John answers the, the, the big question where we started tonight was how do faith and works relate? How do, how do those two ideas intermingle, right? Because if I know I'm saved by grace, do I have to do stuff? But if I do stuff, does that contribute to my salvation? So John answers this question. He's like, that, that's just not the right question. Every legitimate belief, the only belief that matters, tr- true belief that leads to eternal life, always includes both. It includes knowledge about who God is, and it includes actions because of that knowledge. So if, if we could talk to John right now, which we kind of are because we're reading his story, right? We're reading his gospel about Jesus, and we ask him this question, John, like, I'm really confused because everyone tells me at church that it's by grace, but then they tell me I have to do all this stuff. Like, which one is it? John would tell you, well, it is by grace. Like, God chose, God chose to send his son Jesus, and you respond to him, but then you, you, you respond to him, right? Your knowledge always has action. Anything else is just knowledge. It's not belief. We can call it belief if we want, but it's not, it's not true belief. All that other stuff, it doesn't lead to eternal life. So let's make this a little bit more real, right? So we... Like, we're part of, if you're a North viewer, or I'm, some of you might not be, but for the ones that, that come here, we hear the gospel preached every, every Sunday, or Saturday if you attend, then we have phenomenal teachers here that preach faithfully from the word, they choose our songs that teach good theology about what God is like, so our knowledge grows every week, but then John is sitting here telling you, well, you see, if, if you have knowledge but there's no action, then you're Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus is my negative example. So like, if you ask John, what does, a, what does a person that doesn't have belief look like? He would say, oh, Nicodemus. Which, that's kind of sobering for some of us, I think. It's sobering for me, because that, that's my faith story. Like my, my faith journey is that I had a lot of knowledge. Right? I, I grew up in a Christian home. I was, I was born Roman Catholic. And then my parents became MB when I was five, so I, I converted, or I, I accept Jesus into my life when I was five. I was baptized at age nine, right? So really young. I, I was in Awana, so I was memorizing verses. I, like, and then my, my parents, like I'm a huge like, people pleaser, or at least for my parents. My, my wife would maybe disagree. Um, <laughs> but for, so my parents would be like, hey, Freddie, what's this verse? And I'm just crushing it, King James only. And then King James in <laughs> Spanish, even better. And if you think that King James is rough, read in the Spanish. It, like, it only gets worse. Right? So that's me. I'm like, knowledge up here, right? And action too. I was a little kid. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm going to church. It's all there. But then high school gets, gets there. And I, the knowledge doesn't go anywhere. It's still there. But the action, like a ton of bricks. I, I discovered sports. And I discovered that I really, really liked them. 
way more than church, way more than relationships. Girls started to be attractive, so that became a stumbling block. So there was, there was these things that prevented my action, but by God's grace, salvation is by God's grace alone, my story didn't end there. Right? I, I ended up on a mission trip. On this mission trip, I received my calling, which is why I'm standing before you today, which is why I'm part of the Immerse program. I met uh, Rebecca, who we, we dated for a time, and, and now she's my wife. So huge transformation. This was five years ago, 2013. So God, by grace, did a marvelous work in my life and continues working. My knowledge is not perfect. My actions are not perfect, but both are there. Right? So this Nicodemus is more like a Samaritan woman now. And, and that's John's hope, right? That's John 20, 30 to 31. That's his, the entire purpose for which he wrote his gospel is that you who are sitting there today and you might have a lot of knowledge and maybe this is just old hat to you because you've read John four, five, six times. John is sitting there and he's telling you, well, your knowledge is great, but I'm not looking for Nicodemuses. I'm looking for Samaritan women. I'm, I'm looking for you to move past just knowledge and to, and to have your action keep up with it, to have them together, never one ahead of the other, together, because that's the only true belief, right? And here's the thing. John thinks this is possible for everyone, right? Like the flagship verse, like the one that everyone probably knows because it's every, John 3.16, right? For whoever believes in him, like literally anyone, whoever that verse, it, it's not in any way restrictive. All you need to do is believe in Jesus and you have eternal life. And then John reminds you in 20, 30, 31, I wrote this gospel so you would believe in Jesus and have eternal life. All you need is belief in Jesus, which is by grace, but then always leads to knowledge. They're never, they're never separated. And then John, who uses Nicodemus as a bad example, goes on to use him as a good example in the end. Or maybe not a good example, but John seems to have hope for him, which is good news for you and me. So at the end of John's gospel in chapter 19, Nicodemus shows up at Jesus' grave when, when they're burying him. And the only other people there are Joseph of Arimathea, which is a disciple of Jesus, and, and some of the women. And Nicodemus brings like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, of spices and aloes to prepare the body, which is something that family would do, which is something that disciples would do for a rabbi, for a teacher. So I, John leaves it kind of, kind of open-ended, right? I don't know if Nicodemus moved from knowledge to knowledge and action, but there seems to be some growth, which is, that's, that's John's whole purpose. John thinks growth is possible for you, for me, and he wants people to grow. He wants people to move from just knowledge to, to knowledge and action. So, that, that's the hope for all the disciples or all Christians today. So if, if that's the hope, right, that we're consistently growing, right, then the, there exists the danger that you're going to hear me today and you're going to leave and you're going to think, Freddie said the only belief that matters is knowledge and action. So I have to be really good at both. And I would hope that you're really good at both, but that's, that's actually, that's not as important as that you're growing in both. So if you leave today and you remember nothing else that I said, that I hope that's what you remember, that Christian life is, is progress, not perfection. It's growing in knowledge and action, but together, always together. Faith and works are never separated. 
So the reality is that you'll fall short in, in your actions. You'll probably fall short in your knowledge. Pardon me. I know that I, know that I do. But both of them have to be together. And all you have to do is, is pursue some growth. Right? And, and that, that's just for, just for pure actions, right? So that's your attending church. That's being here at NYA. That's serving, right? That's run for water, shameless plug. But the reality is that, like, we'll probably sin too, right? We, sin's not far from us. I, we know ourselves quite well, and we know that we say things we shouldn't. We think things we shouldn't. We see things we shouldn't. It's, it's not surprising to us, right, that, that people would, would wonder if, if Christians are even legit all the time because our actions are usually a little bit behind our knowledge. But John knows this is in your mind, knows this, you're thinking this, right? Because he's, he's pushing you towards this idea, right? Knowledge and action, knowledge and action, knowledge and action. So he holds out this hope in, in one of his epistles. So 1 John 2.1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So John, it, without fail, is going to always tell you how do faith and works relate? They go together. Every Christian, every person that has true belief has faith and works. Or, yeah, has faith and works, has knowledge and action. But if they sin, who they're with really matters, right? And we have Jesus Christ the righteous. So imperfect knowledge, imperfect action is covered by the grace of Jesus, which that should give you hope. That should, that should be the only thing you need as you move forward in, in progress, not perfection, is knowing that, you know what, even if I drop the ball, even if I'm not as good today as I, as I hoped that I would be, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm growing. And that's what belief is. That's the kind of belief that gets you to eternal life. So there, we're all going to stumble in sin. We're all going to stumble in knowledge and action. But, but true belief knowledge and action that, that leads to eternal life. That's John's hope. He's, he's standing here through me as I read this to you, and he's telling you, be like, be like this me. This is the, the Rob Lowe that has direct TV, the guy that has knowledge and action together. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, I'm grateful for one more day of life. I am grateful that it's by grace alone that we're saved. Father, I'm also grateful that you've given us your scripture to, to teach us the things that we need to know, to teach us that true, true belief, true faith always has both, has knowledge and action, has faith and works, that they're not in any way contrary. Lord, I hope that, that this permeates the heart of the, the people here, that they leave understanding that, that they leave the understanding that, that growth is the Christian life. Perfection is not. Growth is the Christian life. Lord, help us bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.